Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by The Bridge Initiative and FI360 Project. This is the Breaking Barriers series. We are Alex and Alicia, your hosts and resident fangirls of all women who break barriers for others. During the Breaking Barriers series, we highlight individuals from all industries and walks of life who have blazed trails for others. Each month, we'll focus on a different theme topic, and the theme for this month for Breaking Barriers is Queens of Black History. Yes. Right? (laughs) Today, our subject is Katherine Johnson. Double yes. Right? (laughs) So... We're both really excited about this. We're celebrating Catherine this month because of the barriers she broke for the mathematical calculations and analysis of orbital mechanics as a NASA employee. These calculations were absolutely critical to the success of the first and subsequent U.S. manned space flights and many more spacecrafts during her three decades with the U.S. space program. So, in other words, what you're saying is uh, without her, the U.S.'s success in putting men into space into space would not have existed when it did. Right. It would have literally crashed and burned. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're both really excited to talk about Catherine for a lot of reasons. Um, We we both, Alex watched the entire movie Hidden Figures. I did. And I watched, yeah, I watched portions of it, so I didn't see the whole movie, but there are scenes in there that are just gut-wrenching and just... Yeah, we're going to talk about this. Yeah, so we're just really excited to talk about the barriers that she broke, not only for women in mathematics, but for people of color in mathematics Mm -hmm. and equality in our government, basically. Yeah, so so we're just really excited to talk about her. So um, she was actually born, did you know, in West Virginia in a little town called White Sulphur Springs. I don't know why you're so excited about that. Well, because I went to school in West Virginia, so it has a warm place in my heart. Um, She was born in August 1918 as Catherine Coleman to Joylette and Joshua Coleman. She was the youngest of four. Mm -hmm. Her mother was a school teacher and her father was like sort of everything. He did a little bit of everything. Lumberman, farmer, handyman. Um, He worked at a hotel, the Greenbrier Hotel. Mm -hmm. So her parents believed in and valued education and did all they could to set high expectations and encourage all of their children but especially their youngest Catherine she had a natural aptitude for it yeah I mean she had an intense curiosity and and a sharp intelligence and a brilliance with numbers um I don't know why we're talking in the past tense she's still alive yeah well I mean at at that time at the time that we're recording this she is still alive um, she's yeah. more than 100 years old right now. But, um, yeah, she, when she was 10 years old, she started high school, and she graduated um, from high school at, I think, 14 or 15, and then graduated from, um, at 18, from the historically black um, West Virginia State College, which is now West Virginia State University, with her bachelor's degrees in both mathematics and French in 1937, summa cum laude. So... This is West Virginia mm-hmm. um, in the 30s. Yes. Because of the county she lived in, which was Greenbrier County in good old West Virginia, they did not offer public schooling for African-American students past eighth grade. So the Coleman's actually arranged for their children to attend high school in Institute, West Virginia, and the school was on the campus of West Virginia State College. Yes. So think about 
the stress of that in terms of get, get just giving them rides. Yeah, I mean, like logistically, that's kind of right. That's hard. Right, but it shows their dedication and care mm-hmm. for education and for their children. Yeah. Um, what, when Catherine was a student, um, she took every single math class that was offered to her by the college. And uh, multiple professors actually mentored her during her time there, including two very prominent people, um, chemist and mathematician Angie Turner King, who was one of the first African-American women to earn degrees in chemistry and mathematics, as well as as well as a PhD in mathematics education. Um, okay. Wow. <laughs> um, that's impressive. Very impressive. Um, and uh, William Shefflin, Shefflin? Um, Clayter, the third African-American to earn a PhD in mathematics and the first to publish in a mathematical research journal. He, also he, very impressive. Yeah. He actually created new math courses for Catherine that would be challenging enough for her. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what? <laughs> um, so, we all were like, what is two, two plus two? Two plus two <laughs> is phone, tell me. Um, <laughs> Siri. <laughs> So after graduating, she moved to Virginia to take a teaching job, which was a common profession for women in those days. There wasn't a lot of opportunities for women in Mm -hmm. terms of... um, Employment. Right, right. So she taught until 1939 when she was selected to be one of the first three African-American students to integrate and enroll in a graduate program at WVU, West Virginia University, for those of you that don't know. In this graduate program, Catherine studied math, um, but... Soon after she started the program, she left because she married James Goebel, and they decided to start a family. She actually found herself pregnant. Mm-hmm. So, um, which means she was married. It wasn't like a big deal. It just kind of stunk the timing of it. Um, but at, at the time of her entry, she was the first African-American woman to attend graduate school at West Virginia State University, excuse me, West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia. And... That's interesting because the United States Supreme Court ruling Missouri Exrel. What what does that mean, Exrel? Okay, Missouri Gaines versus Canada in 1938 ruled that states that provided public higher education to white students also had to provide it to black students, either to be satisfied by establishing black colleges and universities or by admitting them into white only universities. Mm-hmm. So that's how she ended up in the WBU. Right, and I mean, <clears throat> the first African-American woman yeah. to go for our purposes. Right. Um, so, as you mentioned, um, Alicia, Catherine married James Goebel um, in 1939, and over the next five years, they had three very lovely, beautiful daughters. Um, and after she left grad school and decided to start a family, Catherine decided to return to teaching, and she taught mathematics French and music in Virginia public schools. You know, because that's a light course load. Yeah, you know. But, um, unfortunately... Yeah, her her husband, James, passed away in 1956 due to an inoperable brain tumor, and that would have been very difficult and very scary for Catherine. Yeah. Because at the time, she's not allowed to have her own credit card without a husband's name on there. So, for three years, she made it. And in 1959, she married James Johnson, who was a second lieutenant in the Army and a veteran of the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about NASA a little bit. I love NASA. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so Catherine had decided on a career as a research mathematician. Um, though, you know, it was a was a difficult field. I'm sure it still is a difficult field um, for women to enter, but at the time it was a difficult field for both African Americans and women to enter. And uh, most of the jobs that she found while she was hunting were teaching positions, um, which obviously as a research mathematician is not something that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she was at a family gathering in 1952, a relative mentioned to Catherine that um, the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, um, NACA, in other words, which that was renamed and, and superseded by NASA in the late 50s, uh, was hiring mathematicians. So she applied. She applied. And the first time that she did, I, I remember reading that there were actually no positions open for her. So she had to apply the following year again, mm-hmm. and she got in as a computer. As a com- yes. Uh, as a computer. computer. Yes. Um, and so she, she was offered the job, and it was at the Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory, which was based in Virginia, um, and this was 1953. Mm-hmm. And this, was, this laboratory, the Langley one, was um, one where NACA hired both white and African-American mathematicians for their guidance and navigation department. Yeah, so they, they didn't... They they were segregated, yeah. but they hired both, yes. which was sort of different at the time. Mm-hmm. A lot of government agencies didn't even hire people of color. Okay. So um, that was sort of forward thinking of them, I suppose. Hey, but they had different, like, different, they were in completely different buildings. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And had different, obviously, bathrooms and yeah. water fountains and cafeterias and all the things things were separate yeah Yeah. um not to speak too much about the movie yet but in there's a scene in the movie where they're congratulating they're meeting the people that might go up in the first capsule Mm -hmm. and they're segregated just to meet the men yes which to me was like alan shepherd john glenn yeah those, those kind of people the the pilots that were being tested to go up into space and they had you know, like the female computers, mm-hmm. the the white computers, and then they had the black computers. All in line, all in a line. But the female, the white ones and the black ones were di- were separated. Yes. Like you have to be segregated in, on an airstrip. <laughs> you can't even stand next to each other. It's, it's crazy for you and I to think about that. About it's ridiculous. Having segregation. Like, how did they get anything done? I have no idea. You're so worried about segregating people. How do you get any work done? I don't, I don't know. Um, okay. I don't understand segregation. I don't understand being afraid of other people yeah. that look like you. I don't, yeah, I don't know. But in any event, that's neither here nor there. Right. In any event. Let, let's, let's talk back about Catherine. Yeah, back to Catherine. So from 1953 to 1958, Catherine worked with a pool of women performing math calculations, i.e. she was a human calculator. Um, she refu- she referred to this pool as computers who wore skirts. Yeah, their main job was basically to read data from the black boxes of planes and then manually complete very precise mathmal- mathematical tasks. Um, they also analyzed test data and provided the mathematical calculations essential to the success of the early U.S. space program. Right. So one day, Catherine and um, one of her colleagues were assigned temporarily, of course, not full-time. Always temporarily. Because you can't have that. 
to help the all-male flight research team, and she so impressed her male colleagues that they actually forgot to return her back to the women's pool. So for years, she worked closely with the flight research division solely due to her advanced understanding of analytical geometry. So I don't. Impressive. I don't even know what analytical geometry is. <laughs> I, can <you> even say? <laughs> analytical <laughs> geometry, <laughs> but I don't know what that means. Is it like applied geometry? <laughs> All right, we're gonna have to figure that out. We'll put it in the notes. Geometry was like the one math class that Ugh. I did not do well in in school. God, give me trigonometry, give me calculus. No, fine. when you start putting letters in math, that's where I'm out. <laughs> like I can't. <laughs> Alright, we never would have. Uh, <laughs> I hope we'd never meet Catherine. She would no. be so disappointed. In us. So disappointed. But uh, anyway. Let's talk about Sputnik. Yeah, in this is what this, this is, is really what keyed things off here. Yeah. So in nineteen fifty seven when the Soviets launched Sputnik, the race for space was on. And in nineteen fifty eight, NACA became NASA. Okay. So the flight research division for which Catherine was a part of because they couldn't bear to return her became the nucleus of the space task group whose charge it was to beat the Russians into space. So think about where she's positioned in this moment poised in time. I mean, that's an incredible moment in time in U.S. history. Um, To be the only woman in the room, the only person of color in the room, that's huge. It's so huge. And and so by this time, this is 1958-ish, 1959, um, Catherine had developed a reputation as a mathematician within NASA um, with a curious mind who did care- careful and very accurate work, and she became part of that like inner circle, like you were mentioning in the in the space task group mm-hmm. um, in the in the early days. Right, and NASA banned segregation um, as a federal organization in the defense industry, which is essentially what allowed Catherine to be allowed in the room. Right. So that's interesting, too, that NASA made that decision. Yes, it is. Um, the, uh, another interesting thing, in 1960, um, she co-authored, rather, a paper with one of the group's engineers about calculations for placing a spacecraft into orbit, and it was the first time a woman in her division received credit as an author of a research report and um, she actually went on to author or co-author 26 research reports during her career. This next thing that we're about to talk about makes me want to hit my head against a wall really hard. Um, <laughs> so stop you from doing that. Catherine, you know, was talking about the gender barriers that she, by, she, by sheer force of will, overcame. She said, you know, we needed to be assertive as women in these days, assertive and aggressive. And the degree to which we had to be that way depended on where you were. I had to be. In the early days of NASA, women were not allowed to put their names on their reports. No woman in my division had her name on a report. So they were basically doing work that was being taken by men, and they put their name on it. Yeah. Head banging commences now. I, um, you you and I never would stand for any of that. (laughs) I wouldn't have gotten a job at NASA to begin with, so it's irrelevant, but I've been like... You never wanted to be an astronaut? No, there was way too much math involved in that and letters in the math, and that just was not a thing. I wanted to, I wanted to do a spacewalk when I was a kid. 
I would like to be an astronaut, but not have to. I could be a pilot. I could do that level math. But, like, the math that she did, I can't. I am just not wired for that. Well, me, me neither. But other people do that. And I just go enjoy my spacewalk. Yeah, okay. Well, that's fine. I would do that. Yeah. I would totally, like, go to Mars. Just just put me on the capsule. It's fine. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're going to be one of those people that is on, like, that first. No, I'm not. Like, exploratory group dude you never sign up for the first thing the first year of a car the first exploratory group you don't sign up for that things go wrong i'll be in the second one okay i'm not going at all i'd rather perish on earth anyway back to Catherine. yes back to she worked on the trajectories for alan shepard's 1961 mercury flight which was america's first manned space flight and she earned a measure of fame as the girl as female mathematicians were called back then. Not condescendingly at all. Okay. Um, So she double-checked the output for John Glenn's pioneering orbital space flight, MA6, in 1962. Friendship, yes. Yes. This was really interesting because um, this was a pivotal moment in the space race between U.S. and Russia. And Catherine was one of the major reasons why it was a success. Um, Tell me how. Tell me how she was one of the major reasons. Yes, I would love to. Great. Um, The orbital equations that were used to choreograph his mission had been uploaded to a computer, but because electronic computers weren't totally reliable, remember this was the 1960s, early Mm -hmm. 1960s, um, John Glenn specifically requested that Catherine check the computer's work by redoing all of the math by hand. And... Um, he basically was like, if she says they're good, then I'm ready to go. But he wasn't going unless she said that they were good. And he heard her specifically say it. Yeah, and so, I mean, she did it, and the flight was obviously, as we know from the history books, he lived. Success. It was a success. Yeah. <laughs> After that, Catherine worked closely on another history-making event, which is a lunar landing. She worked closely with Al Hammer and John Young to provide trajectory work for the Lunar Orbiter Program, which mapped the moon's surface in advance of the 1969 landing on the moon. Yes. Um, her calculations helped to synchronize Project Apollo's lunar module with the moon orbiting Apollo Command Service module, and she and Al Hammer collaborated on backup calculations that played a role in the safe return of the astronauts in the Apollo 11 13 mission. The what mission? Apollo 13. <laughs> Apollo 11 13? Is that what I said? <laughs> yes. All right. Wow. It's not, I can't even play it on Friday, <coughs> Friday afternoon. <laughs> okay. All right, Alex. Apollo 13. So she essentially saved those people's lives as well. Yes. Yeah. She helped to pick the time and the location of departure that would sync them up with the moon, um, taking into account the shuttle's different capabilities. Um, the program was a huge success and arguably one of the most famous events in the history of space travel. You know, when people say, like, oh, I wrote the book on sunset, Catherine literally wrote the book on space travel. Mm-hmm. She co authored one of the first textbooks on space while working in NASA's Flight Dynamics branch at Langley. And she also worked on the space shuttle in her time at NASA, as well as contributing to the early plans for a mission to Mars. I told you, Mars. <laughs> Later in her career. Even though the plans wouldn't be made public for years. I mean, she retired in 1986, and they made yeah. the plans public in, like, 2010. She did assist with the early planning of that mission and the mathematics behind it. Yeah. 
Um, there's something interesting, else interesting. Um, more than 75 years after she dropped out of that graduate school program at WVU mm-hmm. that you were mentioning earlier, um, due to her pregnancy, WVU awarded her an honorary doctorate degree by, um, quote, attaining national and international preeminence in the field of astrophysics and providing distinguished leadership and service in her field, end quote. Right. And she is writing an autobiography right now. It's supposed to be released in late 2019. Um, It's titled Reaching for the Moon, which I think is apt. It's meant for middle school readers and to encourage kids to go into science. But whatever, I'm going to read it. (laughs) So, um... Well, you have a middle school. I do. Yeah. I officially have a middle schooler. So you guys should read it together. We should. I think that she would really like it. Maybe that's what she'll get for Christmas. Maybe. From Santa. Uh, so Catherine, you mentioned um, she retired from NASA, Langley, in um, 1986. Um, she, throughout her life, has received many honors, including several NASA Achievement Awards and honorary degrees, including that one I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2015, President Barack Obama selected her to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom, um, which is the highest honor that the United States bestows on a civilian. Also, Catherine had not one, but two buildings at NASA named after her. In 2016, NASA named a building the Catherine G. Johnson Computational Research Facility after her. In 2019, another building was named after her. It's the Catherine Johnson Independent Verification and Validation Facility. I think that's so appropriate. Mm-hmm in Fairmont, West Virginia. It's so appropriate because the program housed at the second facility monitors the software used to track high-profile NASA missions, which is essentially what she did. By hand. By hand. So, right. So, getting onto her legacy here. Yeah. In 2016, Margot Lee Shetterly published Hidden Figures, The American Dream, and the Untold Story of the Black Women Mathematicians Who Helped Win the Space Race. It's a long title. I'd just deserved. write in... Totally deserved. I would just write in Hidden Figures if you're looking for it. But <laughs> yeah. this this was about the West computers, which is including Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson. So in... The, Dorothy Vaughn and Mary Jackson are both <clears throat> extraordinarily impressive women in their own right. Yeah, we'll probably cover them in the future, so yes. just look for that. Um, not to not to minimize their efforts and no, input. There, this just isn't their podcast today. Not, not today. Someday. Yes. Um, they also had a film about the, the book. As that's, we that's the thing that really catapulted her from obscurity to being famous. Right is this film. It wasn't the book. It was the film that was also released in 2016. The film generated numerous award nominations. Like, a lot. Yeah, I think it was, like, three Oscars and two Golden Globes. It won the Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a cast in a motion picture. Like, it is a very good movie. I... As you mentioned earlier, I uh, I was doing research last night and mm-hmm. I watched it and I loved it. It was breathtaking and um, it was frustrating mm-hmm. as a woman <clears throat> to watch it, um, as a compassionate human being to watch it, um, just to 
witness the things that um, those West computers, and, and specifically Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson, um, who were the focus of the movie to go through. Um, I, I was so impressed. I mean, you and I were talking about this this morning, mm-hmm. about all the scenes that I really loved in the movie. Um, Which, don't worry, we're going to talk about. Okay, right now. <laughs> yeah, right now. <laughs> Sorry if you want to see the movie, you should pause this right now because we're gonna. It's not ruining anything, but it's just. It really the movie really outlines the barriers, which these women came up against in terms of gender discrimination and race relations. So it was just really interesting to. To. I watched clips of it, yeah, and I was getting fired up over some of the clips because it was, like, <sighs> super frustrating. So the one that... Um, but, I mean, there were also moments of empowerment, I think. Yes. Especially um, for the three women that we were talking about, the nucleus of this film. Um, there's moments in the, in the film where each of them have triumphed. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just love love that and i hope that that part of it is not fiction yeah yeah like um at one point in the movie one of the scenes that was really pivotal for me was that Catherine's trying to get into a pentagon briefing regarding the orbital space flight of john glenn because she's uh, the one doing the calculations right and the math i mean this math didn't exist yet um they invented this math and it every day the calculations and and everything kept changing and she kept getting it after the fact you know she was arguing to be included in the room so that she could understand um the entire situation on on Mm -hmm. a holistic level and not just you know um redacted information because she was she was handed pieces of paper with the calculations on it that were like half of it a quarter of it was redacted Mm -hmm. and she had to figure it out and they basically were like do your job with the minimal information that we're giving you right and so she she says to the person in charge of the field um or the site what's his name al hammer harrison harrison she says to him, Sir, Colonel Glenn launches in a few weeks, and we don't have the math figured out yet. And mm-hmm. she's arguing with this other person who is saying, like, there's no protocol, and you don't have clearance. There's no protocol for a woman being in these meetings. And she was like, well, there's no protocol for a man orbiting the Earth either, but we're doing that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, ultimately, the, the person in charge of the site said, who's in charge here? Like, who makes the rules inside the building? She goes, you... You're the boss. You just have to act like one, sir. Yeah, yeah. and then he's like, okay. So he You're brings, in the meeting. He, he not only, though, brings her into the meeting, he, like, forces somebody else, like, out from next to him and brings her a chair so that she can sit right next to him. Because she was just going to stand by the door and, like, right. be silent. Because right. the person she was arguing with says was, like, say nothing. Yeah, like, you know, stand in the background, be quiet, um, observe. But... Uh, Al Harrison was like, yeah, no, sit at the table with us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were like, they were trying to figure out um, landing zones for John Glenn's flight when he returned. And he asked, like, this specific question, and nobody knew the answer. Um, 
and uh, who, I think it was Al Harrison who just like hands Catherine a piece of chalk and then she just walks up um, doesn't he say like okay Catherine give it a try yeah like, he, he <laughs> just, she just walks up to the board and takes this piece of chalk and makes up all of and I, I'm sure she didn't make it up but she does uh, the calculations she does all of these calculations while everyone else is stammering and going like uh uh yeah. and John Glenn's like what velocity am I gonna come I don't out know what it was. yeah it was Something like, like that. it was like the velocity that he was gonna return into like his speed how fast mm-hmm. was he gonna be coming into the atmosphere and and everyone's like oh well we haven't really figured out the math yet blah, blah, blah. and and they give her the piece of chalk and he wanted to know where the landing zone was too yeah so she's like okay well here's the velocity and then here's the exact coordinates for the landing zone and then so she pulls down this map and she's right. like it's here, give or take, like, 20 square miles. Everybody's just like, what? Like, mouths open. Yeah. And John Glenn's just like, that'll do. <laughs> That's, that'll work for me. He just he has this look on his face. I don't know the actor who played him, but um, you can just, like, see the respect and the admiration mm-hmm. that he had for her just come across in his posture, basically. Um, it was really cool. I, I really liked that that specific scene. Um, there was this whole montage about her going to the bathroom, um, where, you know, people would slam these big, thick folders of equations and calculations on her desk, and you see, like, the camera pans to her leg, and she's kind of, like, you know, jiggling her leg, like we all do when we have to go to the bathroom, um, but we can't, and it starts this, like, montage of her running to the bathroom with these big things, and you know, doing these calculations while she's in the bathroom because she had to walk, like, or run, basically. It's a half mile. Yeah, like a half a mile because there was no bathroom available to her in that space task group building. Yeah. So she had to go back to the West Computing Center and just to be able to go to the bathroom. In a colored bathroom. Yes. They had a women's restroom in the space task building, right? Yeah. But they didn't have a colored women's restroom. Uh, yes. Yes. That's what it was. So she had to run that half mile in literally any kind of weather um, with her big binders full of equations and um, there's this one specific scene in the movie and I it it was one that just like had such a profound impact on me being that you know I like I go to the bathroom a lot (laughs) like I drink a lot of water so I go to the bathroom a lot so um, well, imagine yeah. having to walk a half a mile each I could, time. I would never get any work done. Yeah. I'd never be able to. And, and you know, the, the Al Harrison in the movie is yelling at Catherine, like, why are you never where you're supposed well, to be? She's also soaked because yeah. it started raining on, on her run back from the bathroom. It started raining, and she's, like, soaked. And he's like, why are you never where I thought you were supposed to be? You're yeah. never where you're supposed to be. You know, I need to rely on you. I stuck my neck out to put you on here. And... She's like, there is no restroom here for me. I cannot use this restroom. And they had these bikes that, that people of color could use, but because her uniform was a dress yep. and pearls and heels, she couldn't have ridden the bike. She's not allowed to ride the bike in a dress. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> she basically just like loses it as he's calling her out in front of this room full of men, white men yep. in white blazer, like white short sleeve mm-hmm. button downs with a black tie yep. and black she's hands. standing there in this dress soaked mm-hmm. and she's like 
I can't ride the bikes. There's no bathroom for me here. I can't go to the bathroom here. It's, she just like loses it. And, and there's just silence because everyone realizes like, we didn't, we didn't know there wasn't a bathroom here. Like, they had no idea where she was going. Yeah. Like it, that's the thing about privilege is that you don't know you have a privilege until somebody shows you that you have a privilege. And so it's like, she pointed it out to all of them. And then the next scene is him like snapping the sign off of the women's, like the white women's restroom or whatever it was. Oh, in the West computing center. Yeah. He's like snapping the sign off. Yeah, he, he basically says, like, I don't remember exactly what he said in the movie, but it basically is like, here at NASA, we all pee the same color. Just go to the bathroom, preferably, like, closer to your desk. <laughs> he says that to Catherine. He's like, he, preferably he closer all, to your desk. He says it to all the women. Because they're all standing there. They're all standing there gawking at him, like, what is this white man doing? Yeah. You know, to our bathroom sign. Um, so it's, just, it's really interesting. Um, I. It's also really hard to watch mm-hmm. that um i hate that that i hate that that happened yeah um, and i mean like think about the movie opens up to like pretty early in the movie their car breaks down the three women are in the car riding together and their mm-hmm. car breaks down and um the one the one woman's working on it while the other two are standing outside and a police officer pulls up and he's like it's a bad place for you to to pick to break down and the one woman, and like, he's got his nightstick out. And he has this very aggressive stance about him. Mm-hmm. And the one woman says, you know, officer, we didn't pick it. It picked us. You know, not being, you know, rude, rude but just, like, and he's, like, are you getting an attitude with me? And he, like, pulls the nightstick out. Like, he's going to beat this woman on the side of the road in broad daylight. And <clears throat> she's, like, no, sir. And she, like, looks down. And he's, like, what are you guys doing here anyway? And, and. They're like, well, we work, we work for NASA, and they pull up their IDs, and he says something to the effect of, "I had no idea that NASA hired." And he like raises his eyes and looks at them, and the one woman says, "They have a lot of women that work there, <laughs> like like helping them out, <laughs> you know." And uh, and he's like, "Oh, well, what do you guys do there?" And and immediately his national pride and his his collective energy toward this goal of beating the Russians takes over his prejudice. And he ends up giving them an escort all the way to NASA after she fixes the car. And it's just... That's actually a really funny scene when when he's giving them an escort. You need to watch that because you'll laugh. Yeah. (laughs) And um, it's like they're going really fast. I saw a clip of it and they're going really fast. They're like tailgating him. Yeah. Inches from his... (laughs) It's really funny, and they they say some funny things back and forth to each other. But um, those, I mean, like those women. There's there's some other. Um, so you know, we focused for this podcast on Katherine Johnson, but that movie and and the book focused on three women: Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson, mm-hmm. who um, we mentioned a little bit earlier are both extremely impressive people yes. in their own right. I mean, Dorothy Vaughn, she taught herself how to program that IBM computer and then she went back to her um, the, the, the West Computing Group, to all her girls and taught them so that they had job security. 
Mm-hmm. Because nobody could figure out how to make it work. Right. And um, Mary Jackson, um, she... Uh, Sorry, let me go back to Dorothy Vaughn for a second. She became the first African-American woman supervisor at NASA. Mm-hmm. Mary Jackson, um, she had some really awesome powerhouse scenes in that movie as well. And um, she became the first African-American woman engineer mm-hmm. um, at NASA. And um, she... I I loved her storyline as well. I... I there was a scene in the courtroom where she, when she was petitioning to take classes um, because at a they white were school. yeah they were limited to whites only and that's right. why she couldn't be classified as an engineer because she didn't have these classes yeah it that scene just it, it moved me so much I please go watch that movie I will um, I, I want to read the book I'm gonna go buy the book and read it because I think it's really important to understand um, Catherine history as well as you know Dorothy and and Mary's um history yeah and I I you know not to I just want to hit this this home that there were barriers to these women that didn't exist for their colleagues you know so like in terms of Mary Jackson she's asked by a white male you know if you were a white man would you wish to be an engineer and she said, I wouldn't be wishing. I'd already be one. Yep. And it's like, that should not be a barrier to you. And I was watching interviews by the cast. And Taraji P. Henson said something that was really moving to me. She said, a mind doesn't have a color. If you have a person that is really skilled at something, the color of their skin shouldn't hold them back from doing that. And I mean, think, think if these women were not a part of this, John Glenn would have died. Yeah. And so what are the people on Apollo 13? Yeah. Because Catherine... I mean, our, our space program wouldn't look the way no. that it does. No, we wouldn't have all those accomplish, accomplishments. Excuse me. Um, so it's, it's just a really... Really interesting thing in terms of Catherine. That she broke all these barriers and was such a glass ceiling shatterer. You know? And I wasn't taught anything about her in school. Me neither. I didn't know anything Nothing. about her until this movie came out. That's what I said. Like, it, they were absolutely in obscurity until this movie and this book came out. And then when the movie came out, it was like everybody saw the movie mm-hmm. and they became well, famous. Us. Yeah, except us. And then they became famous overnight, you know? Like, yeah. imagine how that is. You live your life and you're like 100 years old. <laughs> You finally become famous for something that you did 50 years ago. (laughs) She's so impressive. I I just... Yeah. I hope that... um, I hope people learn a little bit more about her. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the point of this podcast. That's why we picked her. You know, and I think that we can teach younger generations about her because in, in 2018, Mattel announced they're making a Katherine Johnson doll. Yes as part of their Inspiring Women series of dolls. And I just want to, like, high-five Mattel right now because mm-hmm. Barbie is bomb. I think they also did Frida Kahlo in that series and um, Amelia Earhart. Yeah, I need all three of those. Uh, but uh, um, I don't even Catherine, play with Barbies. She, her doll 
actually has a NASA identity badge. Mm. And um, I couldn't find any of these on the Mattel website. They probably sold out, like, immediately. I hope so. I hope so. But they, I mean, it's also been a year and a half, basically. Yeah. So um, I did find them on eBay and Walmart, should you be interested. Perhaps I will uh, procure those for little girls in my life. Um, <clears throat> so in 2019, Catherine was announced as being in the inaugural class of the Government Hall of Fame. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. First, amazing. first class, she made it. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. She, she is seen as one of the most significant figures to represent women in science and technology. And um, I just want to take a minute to toast to of course. Catherine. Yes. Get your get your drink out here. Yes. Um, so I just want to toast to Catherine and her impact on um, the space program and her impact on women and girls in STEM. Mm-hmm. To Catherine. To Catherine. Thank you. Thank you for spending your time with us again. This is Breaking Barriers and a little louder now podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative. Thank you to my wonderful cohort Alicia for uh, this great conversation. Thank you listeners for taking some time with me and Alicia today to talk about the amazing queen of black history, Katherine Johnson. Uh-huh. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring magnificent women who broke barriers. And you know, if you'd like to catch up on what we're doing or if you have questions, topic ideas, or you just want to be a part of our community, you can visit fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. You can also email us at bridgetfi360.com and connect with us on Twitter and Insta at fi360bridge.